0: A few words of scripture uh, this morning. You know, there's there's so much uncertainty and chaos in the world, and I just love um, these words of Paul in Philippians chapter four. He says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And listen to this promise. It says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, this is a season when there's a lot of promises being made uh, from a lot of people, but how how awesome it is to have uh, something that is firm and secure, that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, let's just bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come to your throne this morning, to sing your praises, and to be reminded of your goodness, your strength, your power, and the fact that you're in control in this world. So, Father, we just pray that as we, as we sing to you and prepare our hearts to hear your word, that you would just come and encourage us, and that your Holy Spirit would be Uh, Poured fresh into our hearts and lives this morning. It's in your name. We pray. Amen Just want to welcome you again, especially if you're a newcomer, we'd love to get to know you better Uh, We've got the welcome table out front you can stop by there afterwards and uh, share your name and and we can uh, get to know you better but just to have a couple of reminders, one is that the quarterly missions offering is next week. So we do this four times a year. Uh, we have a group of missionaries that we support, and, um, and so that's our opportunity. Now, since we have the, uh, the offering box in the back, I believe, if you are contributing to that, you either need to put your money in an envelope or write something on the check that indicates that that is for the quarterly missions offering. Along that note, uh, we received a text from uh, Pablo Calderon this morning, uh, just asking for prayer for his family. Uh, they have been diagnosed with coronavirus and are doing okay, but one of their kids has is, is been battling a lot of congestion. and so uh, just, just asking for prayer and strength and protection, you know, as Pablo said that the, the medical uh, resources and such over there are not as, as uh, great as what we have here, so they're just asking for God's protection also want to continue to lift up the McKeever family. Uh, we received word this week that Marge uh, passed away. Uh, still waiting to hear details of about um, final arrangements, but we just need to, to pray for the family. Uh, as very uh, Hearts are, are very heavy as we think about Marge, and uh, just what a blessing and encouragement she was, and just the way that she served so selflessly and put her hope in Jesus, uh, just as a as a testimony to all of us so why don't we just take a moment to pray for marge and then i'm going to ask uh after that i'm going to ask doug and uh and some of the other elders to come up as we have an announcement father we just we thank you for marge and um we know that she is is in your presence and father we are just uh we're sad to say goodbye and we our hearts are just uh, missing her and, and uh, heavy for her family. And so we just pray for them, that you would encourage them with the peace uh, of Christ uh, and draw them to yourself. We just thank you for, for a life lived for Jesus, for the opportunity that Marge had to serve you. And uh, we thank you that her pain and her suffering is gone. Just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: church at Creekside that Doug Elric is going to be joining the elders team as an elder. So we, we welcome you, Doug, and we want to pray for you. We're going to have some elders come up. We're going to just commit Doug uh, to uh, to the church. and A little background. Doug and Lori have been coming to Creekside for about eight years or so. And uh, Lori's been involved in the Welcome Center uh, display and Ministry and Doug has been um, Involved in deacons ministry for the last couple years or so And Doug is a gifted Bible teacher Doug and Laurie both have hosted small groups in their homes Doug has taught on the Wednesday night uh, Bible and prayer time and Doug has a heart for the Lord and so does his wife and we're just so thankful to have Doug as a part of Creekside Church on the elders team, so We want to commit him, you know, to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for Doug and Lori and that you've put the life of Christ and the salvation of Christ into their home and their hearts. Thank you that they love Jesus. And we commit them to you and Doug to you for the elders team ministry. Lord, that you would use him in a mighty way. Bless the gifts that you've given to him. You've just showered your blessings on him. And we pray... Over him as he serves the church that you love, that you gave your life for, Lord, we just thank you for Doug and Lori and bless them, in Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, and uh, also, just a brief announcement: Rick and Rhonda Gentozzi, are you here? Okay, back there. Rick, Rick and Rhonda are have been members of Creekside or Cornerstone Community Church a long time ago. And they've been away, and now the Lord has drawn them to come back and join us in our fellowship. So we want to welcome you guys back. Can you stand up just for a second? And uh, good to have you back. And Rhonda is the daughter of uh, Ron and Betty Billings, our dear Ron and Betty. So, yeah, may the Lord bless, uh, bless this day to us and bless Steve as he ministers the word. Thank you, guys.
2: Amen. Yeah, exciting times. Good. to uh, Welcome, Doug, to the elder board and to the Gentoses back, I guess, is the best way to put that. Glad to have you. Let's pray. Father, you are a great and an awesome God, and I just confess that uh, all too often I lose sight of your majesty and your supremacy and your sovereignty. And Lord, as we sing these songs this morning, it's It's one thing to sing that uh, the God of angel armies is my friend and that I can know who goes before me and who stands behind but in the middle of the battle father I pray that you would give us courage help us in this preparation Uh, and for some they're in the middle of this battle I pray that you would give us courage to cling to the truths that we know and I pray and ask that you would Uh, use your word in our hearts to steal us for days that may be more difficult than any we've experienced or sooner or later I don't know but you do we pray for grace and courage and ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts that we might behold these wonderful truths from your law not just for our intellectual stimulation Lord but for our spiritual maturity we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Just uh, one brief proviso before we get started. And I know that you are aware that there's an election, so just asking you to uh, do your part, get educated, and uh, take part. It's a very important election and a lot of issues on the, on the line, so I encourage you to... Um, Make sure you're educated about it, and if you haven't voted, make sure you do vote. Or I would encourage you to do that. Again, it's not a, a requirement. If you want to know uh, my perspective on things, you can go back and listen to the podcast of the previous messages that we did on the series on race, justice, and government. So I'll give you a little uh, thing there. All right. Uh, when I was about 12, my dad... Came home, we, we had some uh, livestock on an acreage, okay, outside of town. We lived in a small town, we had some livestock on an acreage. And my dad came home one day and he told me, he says, Steve, we're gonna go ring the sows. And I said, I, I kind of like, I didn't know what he was talking about. And so I said, ring the sows. So he proceeded to explain to me that we needed to pierce the nose of these 300 pound sows so that when they were turned out into the pasture, that they wouldn't root the pasture and destroy the pasture ground, because hogs like to dig in the dirt with their noses, and so if you put a piercing in their nose, it hurts them to do it, and so they don't do it, okay? I, my ignorance, caused fear to rise up in my being, because I didn't know what I was getting into, and so rather sheepishly, I said to my dad, um, what exactly am I going to be doing in this process? And my dad said, You're going to be holding the sows. I was petrified. I mean, I was not as big as I am now, and I was, how was I going to hold a 300 pound hog and keep it still while my dad put this piercing in its nose? So I timidly asked my dad, Dad, how does that work? What am I supposed to do? What am I going to do? You're going to be holding him?" And I said, well, how am I going to do that? And he said, with a hog catcher. So I want you to see on the screen what a hog catcher is, all right? That's a hog catcher. He showed me this long tube with a wire through it with a ring on the end, a loop on the end, and a handle on the other end. Well, what you do is you get the hogs in this pin, and then you put that ring through their snout and push and pull at the same time. And then hold on for dear life. Well, long story short, I, uh, that, that, that whole ordeal was not without incident, but, uh, but I survived to tell about it. And I learned a few lessons. You see, when you're facing a terrifying experience, it's easier if you have some reason to believe that you're, there, there, there's, there's reasons not to fear this whole thing. Now, my dad, bless his soul, he didn't do this maliciously, but he never gave me any reason not to be petrified. He never told me what I didn't need to be afraid about. Second lesson I learned was that Look, uh, I need not fear what my father asks me to do because of his great concern for me. I need to understand that he loves me more than he would ever endanger me to suffer. So he cares about me. So those are all lessons I learned. And as I was thinking about those things, in light of the passage when Jesus called his disciples together and he articulates and instructs them on the nature and the demands of discipleship, he didn't pull any punches in Matthew chapter 10. He told them, and he tells us, you're going to be like sheep in the midst of wolves. Oh, that's comforting. Uh, You're going to be despised and forsaken by your family. In fact, you're going to be hated by all because of my name. Now, stop. That, that's frightening stuff. That, that's not pleasant stuff to hear. But he went on. He didn't just leave them there. So this applies, yes, to those 12 apostles that he sent out, but it also, by extension, applies to every child of God. And he didn't leave us hanging there because he gave us some reasons to allay our fears, reasons that are based on his ability and his affection and so I want you to turn in your Bibles on your device your phone or wherever to Matthew chapter 10 and we're in verses 24 through 33 where we see these three reasons that Jesus provides us compelling reasons for his disciples not to fear in the face of some pretty frightening stuff okay Matthew chapter 10 beginning with verse 24 a disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become as his teacher and the slave as his master. If they, called, if they called the head of the household Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Therefore do not fear you are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. The first reason that I see from the text for us not to be afraid is the the surety of our being vindicated, of our vindication, which means proven to be okay, all right? So there's three assurances that he gives in the text, beginning with verses 24 and 25. Our fate is actually sealed as disciples. He makes this clear. Jesus, who is what? Jesus makes an analogy, makes, tells us a metaphor here. The He is the master, he is the teacher, and he is the master. So he's setting up this metaphor, he's the teacher, he's the master, and he proclaims to the disciples who are the students or the slaves in this analogy that persecution is inevitable Well, that's wonderful it's inevitable because of our link to him now this is what it says in the text a disciple is not above his teacher right who's the teacher jesus we're the disciples a slave is not above his master whatever you see going on with the teacher, the master, the the slave or the student or the slave can't expect anything better than that. When I was in seminary, I worked in a pharmacy as a pharmacy technician, okay? Now, I can tell you as a pharmacy technician in the hospital, I was never treated with more respect than by the doctors, the nurses, the janitors, anybody than the pharmacist was. I I just, I, I was the student. I was the worker. I was not the boss. I was never treated with more respect. No matter what our position, we're never going to be treated better than the person who is our master, who is our teacher, who is our instructor, and that's what Jesus said. The challenging thing here is the more we become like Jesus, the more we'll be treated like Jesus. Who was maligned? Who was mocked? Who was Bat upon, who was beaten, who was crucified. Oh, sign me up. Yeah? You see, Jesus is painting the picture. This is not an easy road to go down to be a follower of Jesus Christ. John Wycliffe, his body was exhumed. And then he was burned and his ashes sprinkled in the river in protest because of his faith. John Huss, who preached the views of Wycliffe, was burned at the stake. Verse 25 says this. It is enough for the disciple that he become as his teacher. How do we become as our teacher and the slave as our master? Well, in two ways. in We reflect Jesus in our conduct and in our character our conduct and our character in luke chapter 6 verse 40 i don't know if uh, if you can see it on the screen but when a, a disciple is fully trained he'll be like his teacher okay that's my paraphrase of it a student is not above his teacher everyone who when he is fully trained will be like his teacher you're going to be like them not just in their knowledge but in their conduct and matthew chapter 28 Verses 18-20, through we're we're supposed to make disciples and teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So it's conduct and character in which we reflect the Master. Now, how dangerous is this? How life-altering is this to follow Jesus? Look at the end of verse 25. He says, If they called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. Change the metaphor. Now it's no longer teacher, pupil, master, slave. It is head of the house and family members. Wow. So, disciples of Christ will be treated like Jesus was. And what did they do to Jesus? They said, oh, you're, you're the head of the forces of evil. Beelzebul. Beelzebul is the Greek translation of the uh, Hebrew god, actually not the Hebrew god, but the god, the pagan god, Beelzebub. In 2 Kings chapter 2 verses verse 1, or 2 Kings 1 verse 2. You see, the wicked nature surrounding this pagan king and worship of him was such that the result became that his name became synonymous with Satan. Oh, so Jesus, you are a ruler of satan you're part of satan's minions and you are a king with him so do you think then the text says look at the text matthew chapter 10 verse 25 how much more will those of his household so wow this is pretty uplifting stuff uh you want to be like jesus and you can be labeled a demon worshiper and and part of the demon hordes yeah not very fun If Jesus was charged with acting under the power of Satan and being named as having a demon, how much more? The certainty and the severity of the hostility towards those who name the name of Jesus is uh, laid out pretty, pretty clear in the text. We will be criticized. We will be marginalized. We will be mocked. We will be scorned. We will be labeled heretics and part of the enemy. And we know this is true. We'll be beaten and falsely charged. And I, I, I mentioned this last week in John chapter 10, or John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. And it says there, teaching, it says, if the world hates you, you know that it hate, has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, therefore I chose you out of the world because of this the world hates you. They don't hate us because of who we are. They hate us because we are associated with the name of Jesus. That's Chapter 10, verse 22, we talked about that last week. You see, the, the hard thing for me in this is what by nature we seek, which is, I don't want to make conflict. I don't, I don't like conflict. I don't like waves. I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to suffer. By the very nature of our union with Christ, that's coming. And for some, they know it. It's inevitable and it's unjust. Here's the danger. And this is what I see in our, in our, in our culture. Cultural Christianity yeah, I come to church and I do my Jesus stuff, you know? I come to church and I, I, I worship with the saints and then I, 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 you know, I'm in a Bible study or something once in a while and, and then I leave the church and my, I, I don't speak or talk to anybody about Jesus. We keep our faith to ourselves and that's comfortable and it's safe. And it's not of God. That's not what God calls us to. Now, he calls us to that, but not just to that. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Now, don't hear me wrong. He wants us to come to church. He wants us to be involved in Bible studies. He wants us to to meet with the believers, but he wants us to to know him and to make him known. And if we know Christ and we make him known, guess what? The world will not like us because we're named with the name of Jesus. It won't be safe. It won't be comfortable. We'll be susceptible to persecution. So, 2 Timothy 3:12 All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The more like Christ, the more we're treated like Christ. Our fate is sealed. Secondly, we see that our suffering will be revealed. This is verse 26. Therefore, whenever you see the word therefore, what do you do? What in the world is it? Therefore, Okay, so it points us back to the certainty of suffering, it points us forward to our response to the suffering, which is not to fear, no fear. Oh, okay, so here's the easy, you know, we're facing terrible persecution or this persecution stuff, so how can we uh, allay our fears? Well, no fear, why not? He gives us the reason why not to fear, whenever you see the word there, for it is the reason. Okay, So look at the text. I'm, not, I'm trying not to make this up. Verse 26, therefore, do not fear them for, this is the reason, we don't fear. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and hidden, that will not be known. Every bit of truth, every bit of goodness, every bit of wickedness, every bit of injustice will one day be seen and known. We live in a world, folks, of dishonesty and deception and di- disillusion. And the righteous are often marginalized and we're trivialized. We're demonized and victimized. You go, what is this about? Why does this happen? And if it hasn't happened to us, it will. I and mean, you can look around, even in our country, in the world for sure this happens. But even in our country, these things are happening. And the wicked seem to prosper. I want you to see this uh, it's a picture of the church that was recently last week in France. Uh, there were some uh, people deliberately attacked Christians. Okay? We're talking about because they named the name of Jesus, they were attacked and martyred uh, for their faith. Now, I have no idea who they were or what their... It's a sad situation, but, but they were targeted because they're Christians. This is what happens. Uh, to be mistreated and maligned and, and to be mocked uh, uh, to those people, Jesus says, don't be afraid be afraid how's that why because the righteous will be vindicated everything will be come out in the open and the wicked will be punished that will happen hasn't happened yet but it will that's what he says it will happen and we know you not worry about it i want you to look at first corinthians chapter 4 verse 5 it's a reminder of uh to us he says, therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes who will both what, bring to light the hidden things of darkness and disclose the motives of human hearts, and then praise will come to each person. Okay, So the righteous will be vindicated, and the wicked will be punished. It's coming. The winners in the world's eyes will be the losers, and the losers in the world's eyes will be the winners. Uh, Psalm 73 is one of my favorite psalms because it's a, a, a Takes us through that terrible, heart wrenching reality of realizing that, hey, we're supposed to, the the, the wicked seem to be prospering here. What's the problem? How come this is working out the way it is? And uh, verses 3 and then 16 and 18, for I was envious of the arrogant and I saw their prosperity. And my paraphrase is, then I went into the house of the Lord and I saw their end. It takes faith, folks, to look ahead in the middle of the pain now. I saw their end. You know, I think about those who train for the Olympics. Now, our family went to the Olympic Training Center once. And, you know, they're, they're training like six, seven hours a day. But we never see that, right? We don't see the heartache, the hardship, the sore muscles, the aches and pains and injuries. No, we don't see that. All we do is watch on TV and see the Olympic performance. And it all comes to light. All the effort, all the energy, all the struggle, all the anguish. And it's shown on the screen in a similar way. We're laboring, folks. We're training and we're preparing and we're living in this life. And it's all going to come to light someday. But we have to endure the trials and the testing and the difficulty. This criticism, this ritual, it's our cross to bear. But we can courageously face the obstacles because we know that the truth will come out. All right? Justice will be served, and guess what? We will be vindicated. We'll be okay someday. Maybe not now, but someday. And the third assurance we're given is that our message cannot be concealed. So our awareness of being vindicated, a vindication in the face of persecution, emboldens our proclamation. We know that we're going to be vindicated, so now we have greater energy to proclaim the truth. This is verse 27, When I tell, what I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Every truth of God's word is to be proclaimed openly and boldly. You know, that's what he means, in the light and on the housetops, not hidden. You see, I've heard people say this, well, you know, my faith is kind of private. Well, it should be private. But it shouldn't just be private. What you hear from me, the truth you hear, should be proclaimed in the light on the housetops. See, our is not. we're not called to be silent guardians of spiritual assets. We're supposed to proclaim all the truth of God's word. Can't single out, oh, well, I'm going to just preach on God's love and God's joy and and God's goodness, and how God wants to bless your life. That's that's what I'm going to preach on. I'm not going to really talk about all that other stuff that, that, you know, about heaven or hell and, and sin and judgment and all that. No, that's not what God's called us to do. All the whole counsel of God is what God calls us to proclaim. We cannot exclude the fact that man is wicked and sinful and deserves condemnation, will spend an eternity apart from him in hell unless they are reconciled to God through the work of Christ on the cross. That's the message we bring. Oh, it's not that we, we ignore the joy and love and peace. The joy and love and peace comes because we've turned from our sin and we're trusting in Christ. That's where joy and peace and comfort comes from. That's what we proclaim. We proclaim, you know, our goal can't be just, oh, I don't want to offend anybody. We don't need to be offensive, (laughs) but we cannot ignore offending people because the message is offensive. We proclaim, as we saw earlier in chapter 10, verse 7, the kingdom is at hand. So we're supposed to tirelessly and relentlessly proclaim what? An unpopular message, a politically incorrect message, and an offensive message, which is this. You know, we are all wretched, sinful people. Walking away from God, either actively rebellious or passively indifferent towards God, and we deserve his judgment. And that bad news is balanced by the good news, which is Jesus Christ came to this earth, he died on the cross, paid the debt for our sins, so that if we would confess our sins, repent and turn and trust in him, we could be rescued from judgment. We would have purpose and meaning in life and the promise of eternal life to come which begins now, okay? Don't get me wrong. Eternal life begins the moment you trust Christ. It's not a tack on. It's not something added to the end of your life. It begins the moment you put your trust in Christ. That's the message we proclaim. It's good news. But here's the deal. Since men love darkness rather than light, they don't like the message and they don't like the messenger who brings the message because the message is offensive. I'm sorry. It's just the way it is. We cannot have life until we realize we're dead. We're not going to be saved unless we know what we need to be saved from. And if we don't tell people that they're going to hell because of their wicked and wretchedness, but they can be rescued because of Christ, then we've done a disservice. We've not been disciples of Christ. We cannot hold back. You know, the wretchedness we see in our world, the division we see in our world is solvable. In the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Apart from the work of Christ, it's not solvable. You're going to have hostility. You're going to have tension. You're going to have conflict. You're going to have people standing up. And everybody knows what's best for everybody else. And everybody's arrogant and selfish and self-centered and dishonest and corrupt. And that's the way we are as human beings because we're only looking out for ourselves, And that heads us straight to an eternity apart from God. We say there's hope. And that's the message we bring You see the sign of uh, Samaritan's Purse put up a hospital in um, Central Park in New York. Zero expense to the city of New York. Zero expense to the people who came out of the love of Christ. And here's the response. There you go. But they kept doing it. Kept doing it. See, it's our compassion for the lost. We talked about this in Matthew chapter 9. I wasn't here, but somebody else was preaching on Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Jesus had compassion on the lost. It's our compassion for the lost, and it's our conviction that God will rescue some from their destiny to an eternity apart from him that motivates us to proclaim the truth of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it's the, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving but God who said let there be light has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We bring the word of God because faith comes by hearing. And when they hear the word and they repent and they turn, then they are saved. That's what motivates us. And so I ask you, as I ask myself, this is a tough thing. Will we step up our game at Creekside Church locally to speak up boldly for Jesus? Students, some of you in your classrooms, maybe if you, I don't even know if they have serving lunch at school anymore, but in the lunchroom if you're going, but particularly on Zoom, um, you know, you can speak up on Zoom because all of you are doing Zoom or whatever. What about us parents, you know, as we're interacting with other parents, struggling and trying to figure out this thing about school and whether we should send our kids and if we send our kids, what about people in the workplace? Will we speak up for Jesus in the boardroom, in the break room, on the job? Will we speak up with our neighbors? You know, it's pandemic, fear, people afraid of dying, afraid of going everywhere. are we going to speak up for Christ? What about our relatives? Our message should be tactful, but it should be truthful. We don't be offensive. The message is offensive enough. But God wants us to speak up. I just had to ask myself. I said, okay... With whom do I need more boldness? Who are the people in my life that I just need to be more bold with? No fear. (laughs) No fear. But I am. I'm afraid. But I don't need to be afraid. Think about it. Who Who are they? Where does fear keep me from confessing Christ's Lord? Help us to stop living in fear and start living more by faith. Why? Because... We have this surety that we're going to be vindicated. Secondly, we have the supremacy of God, verse 28. And do not fear. Here we see do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. In verses 28 through through 33, three times in those six verses do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. I think God wants us not to fear. Okay? Do not fear. Another reason is supremacy, is majesty. Now, there's a stark contrast between those whom we are supposed to fear and those who we are not supposed to fear. First of all, he says, Do not fear those who kill the body because they cannot touch your soul. This is a repeat of uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 4. The hymn writer put it this way The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. Now, think about this for a minute, folks. God says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body. Anybody here just like ready to die? I mean, just like, okay, sign me up. I'm going to walk right out in there and just want them to take me. I mean, it's like, Ooh, that's kind of frightening, right? Don't fear the people. All they can do is kill you. <laughs> okay. That is no comfort to anyone apart from their union with Christ. Only people, only people who have, have, have died in their life is hidden with, Christ in God, Colossians chapter 3. Only people who really believe Jesus' words in John chapter 11. He says, I'm the resurrection of the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Wow. That's the people this can be a comfort to. Anybody else is like, well, freak me out. I don't want anything to do with that. No. We need not fear those who all they can do is kill the body. In in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, we're told not to fear men. Because the fear of men is a snare. It's a problem. Only fear God. We did this series, and this was by the decision of our preaching team recently. We did this series on race, justice, and government. Wow hot topics, difficult issues, but we tried by grace, in grace, and in love to speak what we thought the Word of God was saying on these issues. Now, we didn't say everything the Word of God says on these issues, but we said what we thought God's Word was saying. Yeah, was it a risk? Yeah, but what? guess what? It's God's Word. We try to bring the truth in love and not worry about if they kill us, <laughs> you know, which you're going to take some heat. We, we're going to take some heat. So we don't fear men. You see, fear of men should never prevent our proclamation or our practice of God's word. I can't do that because I'm afraid what man might do to me. Oh, well, then we have to abandon that. Then he says this, fear God. Okay, so we're not supposed to fear men. We're supposed to fear God. Why? Because God can not only take our bodies, but our souls there you go who has more power God does you see it's the unbeliever who should fear God in the sense of being terrified Hebrews chapter 10 it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God but you know what and when he says this he'll destroy your body and soul in hell this is not the Jehovah's Witnesses annihilation obliteration thing okay uh, you can look at, if you would, uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 5. He says, cast them into hell. You look at Revelation chapter 10, 20, verses 10 and 14. Hell is a lake of fire. There's conscious eternal torment. He's not talking about obliteration. He's talking about ruin or about loss when he says, him who can destroy your body and soul in hell. You will, the, the people who don't trust Christ will experience horrendous loss, but they will not be obliterated like there they will be conscious eternal. You think about that? We all live for eternity. It's just a matter of where. It's just a matter of where. He is not saying, some would say this, they'd read this verse, oh well, he's not saying to believers, buck up under persecution or God will cast you into hell. No. He's saying to believers, speak up. Speak up. Under persecution, to a... so that you understand, because you understand that the supremacy of God dwarfs any adversary, making God worthy of our obedience. So it's not a matter of scaring believers that if they don't handle persecution well, they're going to go to hell. No, it's to prop them up and to encourage them to speak up so that they fight against, knowing that God is in control of all that's happening. It was Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who said this, those who are still afraid of men have no fear of God. And those who have fear of God have ceased to be afraid of men. Those who have fear of God have ceased to be afraid of men. English reformer Hugh Latimer uh, offended Henry VIII with one of his messages. And he was told, okay, you have a second shot now. Next week you're going to preach again before Henry VIII and you should apologize. Listen to Hugh Latimer as we get a little insight into Hugh Latimer's conversation with himself. He says this to himself, Hugh Latimer, do you know before whom you are this day to speak? And he says, the mighty monarch, the king's most excellent majesty, who can take away your life if you offend him. And then consider, well, Hugh, do you know from where you come and upon whose message you are sent? Just think about it, Hugh. You're going to preach to the king. The guy can off you in a moment. And Henry VIII wasn't, you know, like a real pleasant guy. Uh, Hugh Latimer got up the next Sunday and he preached the exact same message that he had preached the week before that had offended the king with greater energy. Because he did not fear men. He feared God. I wonder if we revere God more than we fear men. And does that reverence for God move me to, to speak up more boldly to my friends and my family and to my coworkers and to my neighbors? Because of God's supremacy, he's in charge. I'm going to be vindicated. You're going to be vindicated. God is still in control, and the final reason he gives us for no fear is the significance of our life. Before God, And there's several ways he reveals God's care for us. First of all, God knows us intimately. Verses 29 and 30. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? A cent is one-sixteenth of the daily wage. Okay, one-sixteenth of the daily wage. That's, that's what a sparrow, is, two sparrows are worth. Not one of the least valuable creatures on God's earth falls that God is not aware of. It. Notice the pronoun. I want you to read with me verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? Your father. Your father. Not some esoteric distant deity that is you know, encased and shrines somewhere, but your father who loves you. Now I know for some who don't have a good father figure, that's a stretch and it's a hard thing, but don't look at your earthly father, look at your heavenly father as the example. So keen is our father's knowledge <clears throat> that he knows the very number of hairs on our head. And I know you're saying, yeah, he doesn't have to count much for you, Uh it's pretty easy. But, you know, he has to, has to have a few of us to make it easier to keep track of the rest of you. Not really. He doesn't need our help. He knows the very... That's how intimate his knowledge I don't think about that very much. Do you? God knows a sparrow that falls. God knows the hairs. He, he cares deeply about his people. A testimony to his intimate awareness of us. And we're not going to look at him right now. We don't have time. But in Psalm 40, verse 5, write it down, will you? Psalm 40, verse 5, he, it says that his thoughts towards us are more numerous than he could count. And then Psalm 139, you know, we're, we're intricately woven. He knows the number of our days, when as yet there is none of them. What a great encouragement that our Father is cognizant of what's going on in our lives. He's aware. But more and more in the line, not just is he cognizant of it, he knows every twist. He knows every turn. He knows every bump in the road. And I know for some of you, there's a lot of bumps, a lot of twists, a lot of turns. He knows the hairs of your head. You don't think he cares about what's happening in your life? Of course he does. And he knows. And he wants us to communicate with him and to enter into that with him. And then he says, don't fear. This is verse 30. Therefore, don't fear. Why not? Why should we not fear? Well, his cognizance is inseparable from his care. It's not just that God is some cognitive God up there. He's not the Wizard of Oz. He's not sitting up there aware of what's going on in our life. No, he's aware and he cares. This is the the second way his care is revealed is he loves us deeply you're more valuable he says in verse 31 you're more valuable than many sparrows he knows your suffering he knows your struggles he knows our sorrows he knows our hardships and he's a father and he cares about what's happening in your life He's aware of, and you're more valuable to him than, than any number of sparrows. He's at work for his good, and for his, your good, my good, and for his glory. 2 Chronicles sixteen nine. many of you know it. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. Psalm 34, verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. He cares about what's happening. I care about what's happening in your lives, but I don't even begin to know all that's going on in your lives. But God cares and he knows. That's a reason not to be afraid because God is at work in our life. No matter how much God ha- brings into our life, he cares about what's going to happen to us, and he doesn't make mistakes. Fear not. Fear not. God is faithful. He's faithful. With our life, We need not fear. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and God will direct your path. It may not be an easy path. It may not always be. Sometimes it is. If it is, enjoy it. If it's not, then understand that God is directing your path right now. And finally, he receives us as family. In verses 32 and 33, he lays out the, the one mark of disciple is that we testify to who God is. We confess him before men. It's like this, those who fear God and confess Christ experience persecution now, but they experience eternal reward. Those who fear men and deny Christ escape persecution now, but experience eternal suffering. So, I can fear God, experience punishment, fear God, confess him, experience punishment, and have eternal glory, or I can not fear God, I can fear men, deny Christ, and experience eternal torment. It's a choice. And I said last week, I quoted uh, Jim Elliott, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's a faith issue, folks. I mean, we really have to believe it. We have to say, I do really believe this stuff, or it doesn't, doesn't work with us. So I, I appeal to you. If you're here listening online or you're here this morning and you, you really have never committed your life to Christ, <laughs> it's like, okay, well, I'm not sure I want to sign up now. Uh, well, the people who don't commit their life, they're the people who are mocking and ridiculing and scorning and making fun of those who know Christ. But those of us who know Christ want you to know him too. And so despite what you do for, to us, we will keep sharing the gospel so that you can escape the wrath of God and experience the joy of knowing him. It may cost us our life, but we want you to escape it. If you're here this morning and you know Christ and recognize as this is a sober wake-up call of what it really means to follow Christ it's not an easy road it's not an easy path but the eternal reward outstrips the temporal pain that's the point point. one of the points rest in God's sovereign care rest in the fact that yes the all will come to light someday rest in the fact that God is at work to rescue some who are headed for hell he's delivering people and that one day we will experience joy he'll punish every evil he'll right every wrong and we will reign with him and then finally i challenge myself i challenge you let's let's request some things not only recognize it's coming not only rest when it happens but also to request Request courage for God. God, give me compassion to see lost people as you do. Help me to see their condition so that I'm motivated to share the gospel with them in spite of how they feel about me. And also request that the Father would give me courage to be bold with my family, with my neighbors, the people in my social interactions that I would just be bold to share Christ and folks we, we we come every week we break bread and we drink a cup because it reminds us of all that Christ has done for us and it reminds us that in his death he paid our debt and in his resurrection he rose to give us victory over sin and death if we will trust in him and only as we trust in him can we claim the promises that he will one day vindicate us that he will one day right every wrong and one day we will be with him in glory as we serve and faithfully give and share the gospel with people every day. Now that's what God calls us to. It's not an easy path, but it is the best path. It is the most fruitful path. It is temporary pain for eternal gain. So I invite you, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to pray. And when, after I do, just as the Lord leads you, uh, take some time to reflect, to confess your sin, to pray. Lord, give me a heart that's bigger for the lost. Give me courage to be bold even when I know it's going to hurt and I'll suffer for it. And then as you feel led, uh, take the, the cup and uh, the little bread thing, the little thing in front of you, and peel back the top layer and take the bread and then the cup as you feel led. Let's pray. Father, um, I just know, Lord, uh, that uh, I don't naturally run into suffering. I don't naturally sign up for persecution. I know that there is fear in my heart uh, from those who can kill the body. I pray that you would work in my life, in each of our lives, that we would fear you more than we fear them. And that we would revere you. Not that you're going to send us to hell, but that we would revere you that you are a powerful, sovereign God whose power dwarfs any adversary that motivates us, that you are worthy of our devotion. And I pray that we would be rejoicing in what you've done for us as we take this, these elements, the bread and the cup, which symbolize your body broken and your blood shed, so that we could live new life and share that life with others. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.